Hey, this is Shannon K, and you're listening to Get Real. Hey, everyone, this is Shannon K, and welcome to Get Real. Our guest for today has directed some of the cult classics such as Jawbreaker and GBF. Open to his sexuality, he's been an inspiration to so many queer individuals. Please welcome director, filmmaker, and screenwriter, Darren Stein. Hi. Hey, Shannon. Hey, how are you? How are you? It's good to meet you. Same here. I'm so excited to be interviewing today. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. My pleasure. (laughs) All right, well, I want to start off by, you know, your amazing movie, CBF, which I recently watched and I was blown away. And I wanted to know, you know, what had been your inspiration to, you know, to direct that? I mean, you know, there were so many um, elements in the movie, such as like the colors, the even the characters, you know, um, their thought process and everything. And all of these elements sort of like represented, you know, uh, the concept, which was uh, queer and, and, you know, being open and coming out of the closet. So was this some sort of an inspiration from your personal experience or was it like, you know, well, just to be there? The, mo- the movie was written by a guy named George Northey, who um, he had read an article in Teen Vogue magazine. Mm-hmm about how it was it was in vogue to have a gay best friend or a GBF for girls to have one. And he thought that he thought that would be a really interesting and funny premise for a movie. You know, just the whole idea that these girls think it's gonna make them more popular, more stylish, more like in the cool crowd to have a GBF. And then ultimately the message is about how it's really not about appropriating somebody else or like, you know, having someone on your arm, it's about, it's not about labels, it's about being true to yourself as a person and your individuality. And it's really not about a status symbol, you know? So I thought it was a really funny, a fun, a fun satire and a way to sort of, um, you know, make a film that sort of has like the mean girls feeling of the cliques and the hierarchy and popularity, but bringing the gay character into it. Cause you know, a lot of, gay people love, or queer people in general, love mean girls, you know, mm-hmm. especially gay men and trans people, I mean, everyone. But to, to, to what excited me about that script was to see the gay guy as part of the, um, the clique, you know, part of that group. Because in my own film, Jawbreaker, obviously there wasn't, wasn't a gay guy in that, in that group. Mean Girls, Heathers, you know, it's just not part of that genre. So I was excited that that GBF was doing something, the script when I read it, was taking the genre to a new place I had never seen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, do you feel like now the world and the industry has sort of like accepted more LGBTQ community and, you know, has like allowed them to be on their platforms and, you know, be more open to accepting, um, you know, filmmakers like yourself or even movies with that sort of concept? For sure. I think right now it's all about inclusion diversity, inclusion, whether it's your race, your, your sexuality, your gender, you know, wealthy, not wealthy, whatever it is, you're, it's all about sort of like bringing everyone into the fold. Um, so yeah, it's a very exciting time now to be sort of part of all that and to see how it, how it changes and grows and how, you know, like I've, some of my favorite shows on TV, you know, or on streaming are shows like Veneno, which is about a trans 
you know, a street worker in Spain, you mm -hmm. know, uh, it's a true story about her, it's on HBO Max, or It's a Sin, which is about the AIDS crisis, you know, in, in London in the, in the 1980s, which is on HBO. Um, but yeah, everything you see, it's like, it's extremely inclusive. I think that's a great way. I mean, my, my niece is like, I think she's 11, you know, and she recently told her mom, she thinks she's LGBT. You know, I don't think she didn't say that I'm a lesbian or I'm trans or I'm fluid. It was just, I think I'm LGBT, which is a way of saying, I feel different, other, and that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's such a beautiful, you know, feeling to just be yourself. And speaking of sexuality, you know, I remember reading an article where you had mentioned about um, going to a high school prom um, with, you know, one of your girlfriends and it just, you know, ended up being, uh, I would say disastrous slash awkward. Um, so, you know, during those teenage years of your life, was it hard to like come out of the closet, you know, in terms of your family and friends, like did they understand you or was it like difficult like the rest? <laughs> it's very, it was hard because I'm, I, I, you know, I'm 49. I know, I know I look, I look, I look a lot younger. You but, did. So I graduated high school in 19, thank you. <laughs> I graduated high school in 1989. And so in the 80s, it was a different time. It was not an easy time to come out. So I didn't come out of the closet until I was a sophomore in college. Mm. So I was, I think I was 19 or 20 when I came out of the closet. Um, and my mom, had a hard time with it. We didn't talk for a whole year. Wow. Um, my friends, everybody, you know, my friends obviously were very accepting about it. But I think when you're, before you come out, when you're in, in high school and your teenage years, it's really hard because all the heterosexual kids are all like dating and going to prom and developing as themselves mm -hmm. in a world where it's, it's acceptable. But when you're, you know, queer in any way, whether it's gay, trans, whatever, it's like you, you kind of, you know, I mean, now it's different. I think now in schools, it's a lot more accepting, but back then I couldn't bring a guy to prom. I, went, I actually went to an all boys school and I wasn't even out anyway. Um, and so you want to fit in. And so a lot of gay men and queer people in general blossom later in life because they don't come of age, you know, in their teen years, like you know, heterosexual people do. So yeah, it's always a challenge. I mean, it was back then, but I think even today, even though it's more acceptable and there's shows like RuPaul's Drag Race and there's more inclusion and all the media and everywhere, it's still hard. It's still a thing you have to sort of do, you know, because when you, when you come out, your mom and dad have to come out to their friends and their family about you too. Mm -hmm. You know, it affects everybody. Like, I remember when I came out in the 80s, my mom's like, okay, well, don't tell anyone else. This is, let's keep this in the family, mm -hmm. you know? And it was like, a shameful thing she didn't want to tell anyone. Um, you know, so that was difficult. And I ended up meeting, falling in love with a, this guy about six months after that, I, after I came out to my parents and my mom wouldn't meet him for the first year because she didn't accept, accept me. But then after that year, she was mo more accepting. But also the reason why my, mo my mom wasn't as, as accepting is because, um, Sorry, bringing my dog up on my lap. Um, her, my, this man that was like an uncle to my brother and I, which is my parents' best friend, he was gay and he died of AIDS mm. when I was a freshman in college. And so they saw him, this man who wasn't even, I mean, they thought he was pretty asexual, but 
you know, he wasn't, he had a life he didn't tell him about, but he died of AIDS in a very grisly, fast kind of way. And they thought, my mom thought, well, that's what's going to happen to me. That will be my fate because that's what happens when you're gay, you know, because in the 80s, the AIDS epidemic was taking out so many people. So I understand sort of why she was so scared and why it was alarming for her, you know. Mm -hmm. But she got, she got over it, though. So that's good. <laughs> well, I'm glad she accepted you the way you are. And, you know, a lot of times mm -hmm. it's still... Even today, it is still hard for some people, like you said, to to come out, you know, to their family and friends. Um, it's part of it is like, you know, the society, the community, you know, what parents would think, what the families would think. So, and you know, moving on from your personal to professional, was it as hard um, getting accepted as you know a queer um, filmmaker and a director yourself, or was it more of like, yeah, sure, we'll give you an opportunity. Well, no. Well, first of all, your queerness has nothing to do, I mean, it has, I guess it has, on one hand, it has everything to do with your art. And then on one hand, it, you know, it's like a lot of black film, like black female filmmakers, for example, are like, people say, what's it like being a black female filmmaker? Well, they're just filmmakers. Why, why is it about, people don't ask white men what it's like to be a white male filmmaker, mm. you know, if they're, so it's like, queerness is really just an aesthetic that can be part of who you are as a person. Some people think of it just purely in sexual terms. It's who they sleep with. Their art has nothing to do with it. So I think there's a range of filmmaker, queer filmmakers, some whose queerness um, comes out in their work and others who just feel like that's their life, that's their private life and they make films and it's not really about who they sleep with. So it just depends on the filmmaker, you know, some of them. So for me, yeah, it was never a issue for me. Um, <clears throat> you know, my first film was called Sparkler mm -hmm. and it's about three guys from LA who go on a road trip to Vegas and they meet this woman in Vegas who's kind of sees them as a way out of her miserable there and she follows them to Vegas. And it's just a human story more than being about uh, sexuality. But that being said, one of the characters in Sparkler, one of the boys is gay. And I think a filmmaker who is queer has sometimes a queer aesthetic that can come through and, and as far as what they're attracted to. Um, like Jawbreaker, for example, it's just a high school dark comedy about these three girls who are popular and vicious, crazy, like people put them on a pedestal and they accidentally kill their friend when they kidnap her in a birthday prank. Mm. Um, there's nothing overtly gay about Jawbreaker. <laughs> there's no gay characters, you know, there's no, it's, but I think the aesthetic is queer in that it's a celebration of femininity and Courtney, the main, the main girl in the film played by Rose McGowan, she, is a dominant force in a way that maybe typical girls are not like that. So there could be, I think there's a celebration and a um, heightened uh, world that a queer bring to a film like Jawbreaker, you know? And now, I mean, if you, Jawbreaker was made 22 years ago. It was actually the anniversary of the theatrical release a few days ago. Wow. 1999, yeah. But, um, in the last 10 years, the queer community and the horror, 
and, and the horror community have both embraced the film. Mm -hmm. The horror community for the darker elements of it and then the queer community for some of the queer subtext in the film. Like people, some people think Fern Mayo has a crush on Liz Purr, you know, who's the popular sort of the queen that they kill by accident. You know, so, you know, so, and, and some people think there's like, a, you know, there's like a queerness to just the way the whole film is presented and there's an otherness to that world. And I love that. And I, I think that's fantastic. You know, I was recently um, messaged on Instagram by a trans actress in New York mm -hmm. who said, you know, me and my trans friends love this film. We know every line. And I've always, she said, I always felt that Fern's transformation into Violet and then the way Courtney takes her down and destroys her and outs her as Fern was parallel to the trans experience, how trans people, you know, come out as trans, but they're always living in some, they can be living in fear of being outed as their true gender, you know? Um, so I think a lot of people relate, you know, they, they find those messages inside Jawbreaker and that sort of the, those, those narratives. Also, like I said, it's a celebration of heightened gender. Mm -hmm. And so when a film deals with gender presentation in any kind of subversive or like exotic way, queer people gravitate towards it because, you know, we think about gender probably a lot more than heterosexuals do. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, you know, all of your movies have been such a connection to people, not just only queer, but even like, you know, everyone, you know, it, they all feel connected in some sort of way, which is just beautiful. You know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings, we all have the same emotions and feelings. And, you know, you're, I mean, like I said, you're an inspiration to so many people out here, um, you know, who are either you know, trying to get out from the closet or who are trying to be a filmmaker like yourself. And speaking of inspiration, I wanted to go back in time and wanted to ask you like, you know, what exactly inspired you to, to become uh, a filmmaker and a director? Um, I remember that there was a documentary where you had, uh, you know, mentioned that at the age of 10, you started using your father's camera. And, um, you know, it was just amazing because like, I don't remember I did any of that kind of thing at the age of 10, <laughs> but for you to do that is like super extraordinary. So how did that happen? I just always loved to tell stories and I loved, yeah, I loved worlds that were different from my own, whether it was through music or film or, you know, theater or TV, I just loved all of that. And so I would go see movies as a kid and then I would come home and do performances in my backyard of the, of the movie I had just seen. I've always just had, a, I was just very drawn to cinema from an early age. And my dad brought home a video camera, you know, the dawn of video in the early, you know, in the um, mid to late seventies. Mm -hmm. And I got my hands on that camera and I just started expressing myself with it. And before I could even use it, my dad, I would have my dad film the movie and like one of the earliest things that I did, which is actually in the documentary, well, the two earliest things I did, one was a news, just a newscast, where I talked about the news and then the different friends of mine, one does the weather and one does, you know, and, and other stories. And you see me like, I'm so excited to be on, to be being filmed. Also the camera, the video camera is plugged into the TV. So we can see ourselves on the TV as we, you know, uh, do the newscast. So it was it was funny because part of me just wanted to be on, I guess, 
on TV or you know a, a, an actor or a performer, but then I was also a storyteller. And so when my, when my dad didn't put the camera in the right place where I wanted it to go, I sort of threw a fit on camera. And I had this whole big temper, temper tantrum because I just couldn't understand why he was not following my lead, you know, following my direction. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess since I was a little kid, I was sort of like a bossy kind of like, uh, I knew what I liked and I knew kind of the stories I wanted to tell. Um, there was another movie that I was really drawn to. I was also always drawn to kind of more um, things that were different or outsider, outsider kind of um, films. And one of them was called Shock Treatment. And Shock Treatment was actually a sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is like the mother of all, the mother of all cult movies. And so when Shock Treatment came out, I was like, you know, nine or 10, I was super young. And I remember I had the record, I had the record and I would play the record over and over again in my room because all the music was very 80s and new wave and I loved it. And I ended up doing my own performance of Shock Treatment, which, is, which was essentially just both sides of the record with me and all my friends, all the little kids on my cul-de-sac, you know, all, all of us were up there on a cul-de-sac together in Encino and then my dad filmed it. And it was just one of the earliest things I sort of created, you know, I just knew what I was drawn to from an early age, you mm -hmm. know. Absolutely. And then, you know, with that passion of yours, you took it to, um, you know, NYU film school. So how was that experience for you as well, like in terms of, you know, learning more and grasping more? And did something sort of like change over time or, you know, something that you were like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Um, you know, I'm glad that I was, you know, here yeah. and stuff. Well, I think as you grow older in life, you become, you learn more, you have more experience, your aesthetics change, your, your taste level changes, and hopefully your art evolves and grows and gets better. So yeah, I mean, NYU was a whole other world, not just because of the film school, but because of New York City. Because you know, mm -hmm. I was raised in Encino in the Valley, which yes, it's in Los Angeles, but it's still kind of the suburbs, you know, it's kind of sheltered, right? Mm -hmm. So going to New York, was like, oh my God, a rush of people and the clubs were happening in, in like, it was like the early nineties. Mm -hmm. So it was a really cool moment in New York. Um, the rave scene, you know, the band D-Light, you know, everybody in Washington Square Park, it was just like flower power and, but in like a more nineties context. <clears throat> um, and film school is great because you're around so many people who want to be filmmakers. So you guys, they expose you to directors, you expose them to directors, and everyone just starts making films together. And you get to explore what you, what kind of genres you like. You know, so your first films are in black and white, and then you know you're they're on 16 millimeter film, and then you make them, you know, on with sound, with sound, with music, and you you gradually become more and more sort of evolved in your filmmaking. Um, so yeah, I ended up making a film at NYU, a short film that got me. Um, an agent pretty fat I got an agent when I was like a junior in college wow. so I was like yeah I was like um let me see 18 19 20 I was probably 21 years old wow, when I got cool. my first agent yeah which is very unusual you mm -hmm. know so I just started writing I started writing scripts you know and Jawbreaker was my probably my third or fourth script that I wrote First, I wrote Sparkler, and Sparkler was based on the experience I had with an ex-boyfriend of mine. Um, and I couldn't get that made, and, and then I wrote Jawbreaker, and I, I you know, it, it took five years to get my first film made. Mm -hmm. 
when I graduated from college. So for me, because I had the agent when I was 21, I was like, oh my God, it's gonna happen over. I wanted it immediately. I wanted it overnight, but it took five years. And I know five years isn't a long time, but mm -hmm. when you're living in it, it feels like an eternity. Absolutely. So I finally made, yeah. So I finally made Sparkler when I was 25, 26. Wow. Um, 20, you know, and then I made Jawbreaker right after back to back, which is pretty cool. I made both those films back to back. Um, and they're very different kinds of movies. Jawbreaker, uh, Sparkler is a coming of age film. It's really dramatic and there's a sweetness to it and a heart to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas, cause it's based on a real life story, you know, whereas Jawbreaker is super heightened and over the top and very, you know, dark and snarky and like kind of brutal, but bitchy. And, you know, it's kind of like pop, pop art. Mm -hmm. So they're just both, different sides of myself, I guess, um, that I was exploring and, and, and um, playing with. And then GBF, and I made the documentary, which is a documentary about childhood, which is a whole different thing, um, which is called Put the Camera on Me, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, but then GBF was a screenplay that I read that I didn't write. And I just liked that the writer was doing something new with a genre that he was bringing a new story to the teen genre that I hadn't seen. And I thought it was important, you know? And so that film GBF ended up being on Netflix for four years and a lot of young queer people discovered it on Netflix and even girls, uh, girls who aren't queer, you know, whatever, or boys, whoever likes movies. But um, a lot of, I think that film helped a lot of people come out of the closet and helped them be more comfortable with themselves. Cause I, when I was a teenager, there were no um, teen movies with a gay protagonist. Mm -hmm. You know, that was not something you saw. Um, and so a Jawbreaker, I think had that queer code, that queer subtext because I was trying to bring myself to it while have ostensibly heterose a heterosexual world, you know? Definitely. So it's, it, yeah. And so if you were to um, pick a character from any of your movies which you've done who's been quite similar to yourself in your personal life, who would that character be? Um, I think there's a piece of a writer and a filmmaker and all the characters that they make, that they create. I don't think there's, a, I, there's no one character where I'm like, oh, I'm definitely like this person. It's not like that. It's just more like, I think that there's just elements that you bring, especially as a writer, when you write something, there's often elements of your own personality, your own experiences, memories, you know, because that's what you have. That's that's what you have to sort of work with. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would just, I know this is not the most exciting answer, but I would have to say there's a piece in all of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely understand you because I myself am a songwriter as well. So I definitely connect to that, you know, when, uh, you know, I'm told to pick a song that, that reflects me uh, in particular, I can't pick one because each song has a little bit of me in it so you know mm -hmm. just like your all your movies and your characters so definitely yeah no for sure and and by the way there's lots of movies i haven't made yet that i'm going to be making that are all parts of me as well you know so it's it's always interesting you know the, the process absolutely and speaking of new movies i'm sure we have a lot of new projects coming up for you from you so you I know if you can tell us some of the things that you've been working on currently Okay, I have a, a body swap movie that I just adapted 
actually have a book. It's actually based on a book. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, it's, called Where I, it's called Where I End and You Begin. Mm. And it's sort of a cross-gender a cross gender body swap in a high school where this kind of tough girl, this tough rebel girl mm-hmm. swaps bodies with this kind of more internal sort of like quiet dude. Uh-huh. And he has a crush on her best friend and she has a crush on his best friend. Okay. And they, they decide to help the other, they decide to help the other one get their best friends as dates for prom while they're in the bot the other body. Okay. Um, so it plays a lot with gender and sexuality because first of all, you know, he he as her, they he ends up hooking up with his best friend as her and we're, we're kissing. She ends up kissing her best friend who's a female as him. So it deals with like a woman and a man and a woman's body, but teenagers also. Mm-hmm. But, and, but then the two, the two main characters who body swap end up falling in love with each other by the end of the film. Because they, they were able to, yeah, because they were able to have um, compassion for each other by being in each other's skin. Mm. So it's a really interesting, um, powerful story. So right now that is out to producers. So we're in the process of, I've, I've co-written that with another writer mm-hmm. and we are bringing that out to producers now, which is exciting. And then I have a, a personal movie I just finished, which is called, finished writing, which is called Aunt Max which is about when I came out of the closet. So it's going back to what we just talked about. It takes place in the 90s. And it's about how when I came out of the closet and my mom didn't talk to me for a year, I ended up becoming best friends with my mother's friend who was her age, a a criminal attorney and had children and a husband and lived in the Valley. So basically this older woman and I had this very dear friendship Mm-hmm. And she basically was living through, through me because she married the first man that she was with. So she never got to play the field. And when she found out that I was gay, she got excited and she's like, let's be best friends. And we went to bars and I would tell everyone she was my aunt and that, and she'd go up to people and say, my aunt, th- my, my nephew thinks you're cute. So we had a very unusual relationship. That's kind of like an anti-mame kind of thing. Uh-huh. That's so-, um, so it's really yeah, so that's a more personal movie that I just finished writing. So we're in the process of, of putting that together as a film as well. And then I'm going to be um, pitching Jawbreaker, the movie, as a musical series for streaming. Oh, wow. that's so awesome. I'm working on that. Right now. Yeah, because over the, over the last 10 years, we've been developing Jawbreaker, the movie, as a musical for the stage. Mm-hmm. So there's like 17 songs that already exist. And so I just thought it would be great to do it in a half hour, you know, limited series for a place like Netflix, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow, that is awesome. That's so cool. I mean, just <laughs> hearing all those projects, I'm just so excited to watch them. And I hope that they come out real soon because I'm already excited. And I'm sure all your fans are going to like absolutely love it. These stories and especially the movies and projects sound so, so, so cool, especially in the year of, you know, that we're living in right now. So it's just amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I've always wanted to direct a musical, make a musical, uh-huh. and it's exciting to, get, to hopefully be able to get the opportunity to do that. So we'll, we'll be keeping our fingers crossed that everything keeps moving ahead with it. Absolutely. Got my fingers crossed too. <laughs> cool.
All right, so now we're gonna move on to the game segment. And I have a bunch of questions here for you and you have to answer as fast as you can. You ready? Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. One thing which you've always wanted to do but haven't done. Um, skydive. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> All right, on what occasion do you lie? Never. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't believe in lying. I don't think. I, I. I really try not to lie because lies always come back and haunt you. Hmm. That is so true. That is very. True. I mean, maybe a white a white lie here and there, like very white, meaning not harmful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know? <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Which talent would you most like to have? Singing. I love singers. I think it's such a great thing to be able to perform and sing beautifully. I think that's so wild. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm excited sing. to hear your music. <laughs> well, I hope <laughs> you like my music. <laughs> I, wanna, I definitely would love to hear it, yeah. Totally. All right, what is one of your weirdest habits? <laughs> I'm really into astrology and I love to know everyone's sign. And I have this book where I keep everyone's birthdays and I just collect everyone. And I just love to know everyone's birthdays. Like I, I can ask you right now, when's your birthday? No way. I'm, I'm into astrology as well, but not as much as you though. I, I don't know, but I really like to know about people's like zodiac signs and see if they're compatible with me or not. Oh my God. I'm a Gemini by the way. So. Okay. But what's the exact day? June or is it May or June? June, June what? June 16th. Okay, cool. Yeah, my dad's June 17th and he's a Gemini. Oh. So yeah, that's cool. No, but, but for me, it's like finding out that about someone just gives me a little like, it just gives me a little bit of context and I, it gives me a little bit of a picture of them. Absolutely. Geminis are awesome. Gemini women are great, yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Um, tell us one thing people don't know about you. I'm really... Uh, spiritual. I'm very into uh, Kundalini yoga, which is a Sikh a Sikh based yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, came, I came to the states by Yogi Yogi Bhajan in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's wild. It's like it's like a snake. Kundalini is like a snake that's a metaphorical snake that's coiled around your chakra system, uh-huh. and then through doing breath of fire and sort of rapid movements and stuff, you uncoil. The snake and you get really high like the energy comes to the earth through your chakras and out the top out the top of your head then you get totally zen that sounds really cool i think you might have to teach me that i'll te- check out check out nine treasures yoga.com it's te- the teacher is tej t-e-j all right i got you <laughs> all right okay. one last question one embarrassing moment from your life Oh, uh, what's an embarrassing moment from my life? Um, probably take it back to like childhood. It's so silly, but I, I think I'm thinking about how when I was a little kid, I was taunting some kids about pushing me in the in the pond. There's like this dirty pond, it was all black full of algae and like tadpoles and gunk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nobody will push me in this pond, nobody will do it. And lo and behold, someone pushed me in the pond. And I was completely covered and I got out and I was laughing, ha ha ha, that's so funny, that's so funny. And then as soon as I got home, I just burst into, <laughs> I burst into tears. Uh, but that was, that's not that bad, but that's something from childhood. 
Oh, that was that was a cute, embarrassing moment. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank That's you so fun. much for being on the show. I had so much fun talking to you, learning about, you know, your aesthetics and all your movies and inspiration behind it. You know, like I said, once again, I'll say it again, you've been inspirations to so many people. So thank you so much for, you know, making movies that connect with people and that are, you know, just an inspiration to people just to see themselves. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me, Shannon. And I want to hear your music. I'm sure it's fantastic. And if anybody wants to follow my career and learn more, they can follow me on Instagram. It's at just my name. It's at, it's at Darren Stein, D-A-R-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Absolutely. Well, I shall follow you because I'm a follower. I love your work and I love you. And your personality is so amazing. So absolutely. You got a follower right here. Thank you. I'll follow you back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you again, once again, for being on the show. I had so much fun. Thank you for the interview. I, I loved your questions and your, your, Gemini, your Gemini energy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much.